Today's reading is Zechariah 3, reading at chapters 1 to 10. And it's entitled in the New International Version, Clean Garments for the High Priest. Zechariah 3, reading verses 1 to 10. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy, filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin and put the fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave his charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will be governed my house and have a charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, you are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of you, Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day each of you will invite your neighbour to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. That's the word of the Lord. Over to you now, Tom. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for your warm invitation. Um, and I'm just sad that I can't be with you in person uh, this Lord's Day. Um, I've been praying for you. Um, and as we start now and we dig into God's word, let me pray the Lord would speak to us. Almighty God, we ask in Christ's holy name and in the power of the Spirit that the Spirit would ride upon the words spoken now. And Lord, even though we're in different places, we plead with you that you would pour your blessing on us. Lord God, that you would make your presence known to us, that you would be glorified, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've read from God's words in the book of Zechariah and chapter 3. So as we start and look into this chapter, I want to ask two uh, big, big picture questions. Um, great kind of questions for starting a new year. Um, as we look back on 2020, um, it's been a strange year. Um, it, it's perhaps been a, a pretty wasted year. And you may feel that way. It might have been an amazing year. You may feel that way. Um, it might have been a year of complete confusion um, or, or real despair even. Um, it's been a strange year in, in lots of different ways. So as we start 2021, I want to ask two questions. Um, they'll seem different to start with, but as we go through Zechariah 3, it will show us from God's word that these two questions are two sides of the same coin. The first question is this. What is the gospel? The second question is, what is your identity? Who are you? So first up, what's the gospel? Imagine you're sitting on a bus um, and you're on the way back home, at a non-socially distanced bus, just hypothetically um, with me, um, and you're talking to someone on the bus uh, and you start talking about the Lord Jesus. And they say to you, in a nutshell, what is the gospel? How can I be saved? What do you say? Something like, we're all sinners and we've all disobeyed the Lord. We've all rebelled against him. But God, in his infinite mercy, 
sent his son to become a man, that's the Lord Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin, our rebellion, to take all the, the punishment that our disobedience against God deserves when he died on the cross. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that everyone who trusts in Jesus and confesses their sin to him will be totally forgiven. And more than that, they will be with the Lord forever and ever in the ultimate meaningful relationship. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Second question, who are you? What is your identity? 2020, as a strange year, has been one of those times because of the lockdown that maybe you've been feeling that a part of your identity has kind of been stripped away. Maybe you think of yourself, well, I've got loads of Twitter followers. I've got loads of um, likes on my YouTube channel. Um, I've got loads of friends on Facebook. Um, in terms of your online activity, you may define yourself with that. Maybe you define yourself in terms of your education, your friends, how friendly you are. Maybe the number of children you've got. Maybe your pension. Maybe the size of your house or how much your car cost. How do you define yourself? All of those issues may be significant in some parts of life, but ultimately they don't carry meaning. They're not what defines us most fundamentally. And as we go through Zechariah 3, I want us to see that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is who we are as Christians. Meaning is provided in Christ Jesus. Zechariah chapter 3. Um, Zechariah was a prophet around the time of, of Haggai back in the Old Testament and the minor prophets right at the end of the Old Testament. So God's people have been living in the promised land, but because of their sin, they were taken out of the land um, and sent off first to Assyria um, and then to Babylon um, in the Babylonian captivity. But then they come back uh, to the land of Judah um, in the promised lands, they, they come back to Judah uh, and Zechariah and Haggai are among kind of the first way of going back uh, and looking after that period. So it's called the, the kind of post-exilic period. After the exile, they come back, but it feels all so second rate. It just that the people are looking back and thinking, remember the temple in Solomon's day, remember how amazing, how spectacular it was. And now we see the temple being built again, in Judah, uh, it's been destroyed, um, but now it's being rebuilt and it's just a bit second rate, a bit mediocre. The Lord sends Zechariah and he speaks to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you found that when you read the Old Testament, uh, if you're a Christian, if you're reading God's word, and I really encourage you on that note to make 2021 a year where you really commit to reading God's word. Maybe you could read it all through in one year or all through in two years. You could set yourself a plan, read the Bible. That's so, so important. In Zechariah chapter three, Zechariah gives encouragement to the people because he's received this vision. In the first half of Zechariah, he receives uh, this group of visions and the way they're constructed, it all points towards the middle two sections, the central visions um, in chapter three and chapter four. Chapter three is like a key to unlocking the book of Zechariah. And when you do that, 
it kind of unlocks uh, the whole of the Old Testament. Basically because Zechariah 3 is all about Jesus. The book of Zechariah as a whole is all about Jesus. And the Old Testament as a whole is all about Jesus. Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, which point to me. All of God's word, particularly as we're thinking at the moment in the Old Testament, points to Jesus. So what's happening in this vision? Chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So we've set the scene, and um, now we're going to set the scene in the parable, chapter 3 specifically. We're going to walk through the parable, give an overview, and then we'll draw an application uh, as we draw to a close at the end. So what's happening in chapter 3 is a vision, and Zechariah is an onlooker. He's watching, he's seeing this vision, and he beholds Joshua, the high priest. Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan is there bringing accusations against Joshua. Verse 2, the Lord, who's the judge of all the earth, said to Satan, the accuser, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this, that's Joshua, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. In verse 2, we get this wonderful hint about the nature of the divine majesty. It's the Lord speaking to the accuser and saying, the Lord rebuke you. We get this wonderful picture that, that, that in God, it's not just total um, oneness without any distinction. There is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. What's the big picture going on here? It's a court case. The defendant is Joshua, the high priest. The judge is seemingly this angel of the Lord. And the prosecutor, the accuser, is Satan. Satan is hurling all these accusations against Joshua, the high priest. And we see that Satan's right. In all his accusations, Satan is right. Because verse 3 tells us Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. And we'll see in a moment in verse four that those filthy garments are a picture. So much of Zechariah in this chapter is picture language. And the picture of these filthy clothes points us to the fact that Joshua is sinful. His dirty garments display his inner sinfulness. I wonder for you, who is the most godly person that you know? The most Christ-like person you've ever met? Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's someone in the church. Maybe you can think of someone that you knew a long time ago. Someone where you, when you speak to them, it just makes you feel like you're with the Lord because you know that this person has spent so much time in prayer and reading the word and it kind of rubs off on you and it's so easy to talk to them about the Lord. Who is the most godly person you know? If we were back in 5th century BC Judah, and we asked the average Israelites um, in Judah, who's the most godly person you know? They would probably say it's Joshua the high priest. He was the super saint at this time. He was the high priest 
of God's people. And once a year, he went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And he was in the presence of the living God by the Ark of the Covenant. This is Joshua, the high priest. He's the super saint. And yet verse 2 tells us, and verse 3, that he's wearing filthy garments. So if Joshua, the high priest, is full of sin, then what about us? We too are so filled with sin, aren't we? G.K. Chesterton um, once wrote a secret uh, anonymous note to the 10 most influential people that he was in contact with. And the note simply said, just private notes given to them, maybe a telegram, your secret is out, flee. Within a few days, almost all of those 10 people had left the country. Maybe you're the same. Maybe on the outside, everything looks great. But then when you really look inside, you're profoundly aware that there are secrets in your heart and in your life that you desperately wish that no one would ever know about. And if it did become public, you would be covered in shame. All of us are like this to one degree or another because people outside can't see our hearts. They can't see the pride. They can't see the lust. They can't see the anger in our hearts. But the Lord God does see that. He knows us inside out. The book of Proverbs tells us that hell and destruction are open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. Joshua the high priest is wearing filthy clothes because his heart is full of sin. But then comes verse 4. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, this is the judge speaking in this courtroom scene. And he says, remove the filthy garments from him. Take off Joshua's filthy clothes. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with festal robes. So this verse four proves to us that Joshua's filthy garments are a picture of his sin because the Lord says, I'm taking away your filthy garments. And in doing so, I am removing your sin. And more than just taking away your sin, I will clothe you in rich robes. I'm taking away your sin and I'm giving you righteousness. Remember that wonderful prophecy of Isaiah um, 41 telling it is, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. How wonderful it is in the gospel, as we'll see in a moment as we draw in applications, that Christ's death not only means that our sin is taken off us and placed on Christ, he bears the guilt of our sin, but more than that, in his death and resurrection, his righteousness, his perfect obedience to the moral law of God, his blazing holiness is given to us. Sinners saved by grace, made right with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 4 makes it so clear that Joshua's sin is taken and he's given righteousness. Before we look a bit more in detail at what that means, I want us to look back at verse 1, that Satan is accusing Joshua. We've seen from verse 4 
that Joshua's sin is taken away and his righteousness is given to him. But even after that, I can imagine the accusations would keep on coming. And think in your life, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your saviour, you hear, not, not audibly, but maybe in your own heart, or maybe just looking at your life, it's not hard to imagine the accusations that Satan would bring against us before God. Satan knows us. He sees our lives. He knows our secrets. He knows us so well. And he has known humans from the very beginning. He knows the human condition more than any human does. He knows the scriptures more than any human does. And he sees your life more fully than anyone else in this world, any other human does. And he brings accusations against you. How do you respond? How do you respond when on the Lord's Day, as you you take the Lord's Supper at church, and you hear the voice of the accuser in your head saying, how dare you take the Lord's Supper when I can see what your life is like? I can see you're a sham. I can see you're just trying to barely cover up all the wretched sin in your life. How can you come to Christ? Look at your life. You're a mess. How do we respond when we hear those accusations? Well, if Joshua had responded by trying to kind of brush off his filthy garments a bit, trying to smarten himself up, he would have been ridiculed. The only thing that can defend Joshua against the accusations of Satan is the righteousness of Christ given to him by this judge. And the only thing that can defend you against Satan's accusations is not by trying to deny them because you'll just be wrong. Satan is probably right about all the accusations he would bring against you. And yet what you must say when you hear those accusations, Satan, you're right. I'm a miserable failure. I'm full of sin through and through. But hallelujah, Jesus has died to take away my sin. And he has provided me with his righteousness. And I stand before the living God, the judge of all the earth, as righteous, as holy, not because of me, not because of my goodness, but because of Christ. Friends, when you hear the accusing voice of Satan, look at Jesus. Look at the one who died for you, who shed his blood for you at Calvary, that you may be free. In verse 5, going back to the vision, it always makes me smile the way that Zechariah, the prophet, who's observing this vision, he, he has this vision, He speaks up in the courtroom in verse 5 and says, Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. This isn't just a random addition to the garments that he's wearing that are clean. Um, It's the high priestly garments. Let him stand as a priest before God, not in his own filthiness, his sin, but in the righteousness given by Christ. The angel of the Lord does this. While the so that the people do this while the angel of the Lord is standing by, and then we come to verse six, where the angel of the Lord admonishes Joshua, gives Joshua a charge. He says to him in verse seven, "Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house." And also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. 
Joshua's sin has been taken away. He's been given this righteousness, which we see to be a uh, pictorial inaction of what Christ has accomplished for us at the cross. It's a, a, an acted parable, if you like, and it points us to Christ. And then from verse 6 and 7, the Lord speaks to Joshua and charges him with the governance of God's house, of God's people. We're not going to spend much time on this, um, but instead we're going to move on to verses 8, 9 and 10, which is kind of the, the, the final key that shows us that this picture language is actually all about Jesus. Maybe you've been thinking, um, Tom, how can you say it's about Jesus? Where, where's the proof? It's just picture language. Where does the text itself tell us that it's about the Lord Jesus? And here is the answer. Here's the response. Verse 8. Now listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, you are men who are a symbol, a picture. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant the branch. Verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Joshua is given two clues, and we are two, that help us understand this vision. The first clue is this stone with engravings on it. The second clue is this branch in verse 8. The stone with seven eyes or seven facets on it. It's hard to know what that means. Perhaps it's one of the uh, stones on the ephod of a high priest on, on his breastplate. Perhaps it's one of the stones on the shoulder pieces of his high priestly garments. And those precious stones were engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel. So when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, he represents the people to the Lord. He bears their names on his heart, on his shoulders. And in just the same way, this points us to Jesus, who our names are written on his hands, aren't they, Isaiah tells us. And they're engraven on his heart. And we see that when Jesus dies on the cross, he represents us in a way that he takes our sin on himself. He stands before God and takes all the judgment that our sin deserves on himself. In such a way that Peter tells us in 1 Peter, uh, twice in fact in 1 Peter, that he himself, Jesus, bore our sin in his body on the cross. The second clue is this word branch. I'm going to bring in my servant the branch. Who is the branch? We'll read later on in Zechariah chapter 6, just over the page in verse 11. There's another enacted parable where Zechariah um, is told to make a crown out of silver and gold in verse 11 uh, and place it on the head, a crown on the head of Joshua the high priest. There is no one in the Old Testament who is both a priest and a, uh, and a king because the priests came from the tribe of Levi, the kings came from the tribe of Judah. And you can't get one person from both tribes. So it's, it's a parable, but it points to something 
that the Israelites would not have been able to understand at this time. But verse 12 tells us in Zechariah 6, Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honour and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two officers. So there is one coming, says Zechariah, who will be both priest and king. There is only one person who fits this. It's Jesus. From the tribe of Judah, a king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and yet also a priest, not of the Levitical priests, but as the psalmist tells us, and as the writer of the Hebrews tells us, according to the priesthood of Melchizedek back in Genesis. The only person that can possibly be this branch is Jesus. And so Jesus is the branch. Jesus is the way that we can have our sin taken away because he died to take our sin. And Jesus is the one who is uh, pointed to by Zechariah 3. As we draw all this together then, we began by asking two questions. Firstly, what is the gospel? And we've seen the gospel so clearly in Zechariah 3. It's wonderful, isn't it, to see the gospel presented in different language, in picture form, but so clearly in the Old Testament. Often when we want to understand the gospel, we go to the New Testament straight away, don't we? But we see it so abundantly clearly in the Old Testament. Joshua the high priest is covered in sin, his sin is taken away, and he's given righteousness. That's the gospel, isn't it? All that's missing is how it will happen, but even that is provided in part because it's the branch who is going to be a king and a priest, and that can only be Jesus. So all we need to see now is that it's because Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin. If you don't know Jesus this day, if he is not your saviour, if you've not confessed your sin, I, I plead with you and I beg you to speak to someone in the church Get in touch with Nick, uh, the pastor, and speak to a Christian that you trust and tell them that, t- tell them about your sin and, and tell them that you want to confess your sin to the Lord and acknowledge that you have lived a life rebelling against the Lord, but you want now to trust in Christ, to turn to him and be forgiven. The second question that we asked at the beginning was, what is your identity? Joshua was this super saint in the Old Testament, and yet viewed by the eyes of the judge, the Lord God, even the fact that Joshua is the high priest of the Old te- uh, in the Old Testament, it means nothing. He's just covered in this filthy garment. In God's eyes, he's a sinner, just like us. What is your identity, your family, your house, your pension, your Twitter followers? your online presence, your intellect, your career, your wealth, your finances, your experience, your knowledge. What is it that you think defines you? Ultimately, on the last day of judgment, none of those things will really matter. A friend of mine used to say that on on a hearse, there is no tow bar. You don't take a trailer with you to the grave with all your stuff in it. What matters is 
do you trust in Jesus? In 2021, if you're trusting in Jesus, let me encourage you and strengthen you to make your identity Christ and Christ alone. He is the one that defines you. He is the one that gives meaning and purpose. He is the one that enables us to stand in the presence of the living God, not as sinners, but as sinners saved by grace and made righteous and holy through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. May the Lord bless it richly to us. Amen.